And here we are back together again. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it great to have friends for 40 years? And some of you are not close to 40 yet, so you don't know that, but you will. Amen. So what a joy it is and what a thrill it is to be in this uh, chapel setting, but beyond that, in this new season of a fresh birthing of something that's going on in the midst of your uh, SUM Seminary and Theological Institution that will impact the world. Now, please hear my words. Not a one of them will fall to the ground. But you will see in, in the life of this, of this work that is being birthed, even this week, there will be things that will literally expand to the uttermost parts of the earth and affect the world as we know it. One of the ways I know that is because they've asked me to consider uh, heading up the, uh, the prophetic part of the fivefold ministry expansion of the curriculum that is happening right now in your midst, even as I speak. And most of you have five figures on your hand, and I've used this illustration forever. And if you've heard it before, it bears repeating that the apostle is the thumb, the foundational finger. If you lose the thumb, you're in trouble. The prophetic is the one that foretells and foretells. He points the finger and corrects and directs. And then the evangelist, the long one, the one that reaches out to the lost, always reaching out. And then the ring finger, married to the church, married to the local church. And then there's the picky one, the one that loves to get into the minutia of the languages and the word, the fivefold ministry, the hand of God. And it's interesting in First Peter where uh, we all know that that is a, is, is a biblical thing. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher from the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. I'm going to come back to that at the end because it's so important we see something that maybe you haven't seen before, which I call the big dilemma. But I'll, I'll mention that in just a moment. But it's interesting that that fivefold ministry is the hand of God. And Jesus himself, while he was on the earth in his corporeal physical body, he, he embodied all five. He, was, he is, according to Hebrews 3.1, the apostle and high priest of our faith. So Jesus was the apostle. Everybody wiggle your thumb at me. Amen. And you at home. Are you in the churches around the country, I should say. And, and then he was the prophet who, who when, she, when he said, go call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. He, said, he didn't rebuke her. He didn't put her down. He didn't embarrass her. He said, you said that perfectly. You have five, you've had five husbands, the one you're sleeping with now you're not married to. And she said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> but Jesus had that grace on him to prophesy. Amen. And gave in the 24th chapter as well as the 13th chapter of Luke, 24 of Matthew, the story of the end time as it will unfold before us. And Immediately after the tribulation of those days, which we are beginning to enter into these days, and maybe already into for all we know. And I'll, I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. We are about to see uh, what is necessary to, to prepare a bride that he will be glad to come back for. Let me tell you, that bride will be without spot, blemish, wrinkle, or any such thing. But she will probably be wearing combat boots. Amen. So, glory to God for... The fact that bride's going to be beautiful, but she'll probably, probably be walking down the aisle in combat boots. Amen. And so we see he's also the evangelist. Amen. He saw Zacchaeus. The Bible says he looked up and he saw him and Zacchaeus thought, he sees me. 
But Jesus didn't see that lost sheep of the house of Israel as the crooked, shyster, turncoat, uh, shorty Zacchaeus who had become a Roman tax collector and he was rich. And when the Bible says he was rich, it, it actually says he was wealthy. How many of you know the difference between being rich and being wealthy? How many believe that Kobe Bryant is rich? Let me promise you, Kobe Bryant is rich. If you don't know that. Let me tell you who's wealthy. The man that signs Kobe Bryant's check. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. Zacchaeus was wealthy. And he comes up and watch this. And he says, Lord, oh, he sees me. And all everybody else looked at him one way. Boy, aren't you glad Jesus looks at you. And he loves you just the way you are. He loves you with an everlasting love. And he didn't see a shyster up in the tree. No, he saw, he saw a lost sheep of the house of Israel that had climbed up in a tree just to get a look at him. And Zacchaeus must have thought he sees me. He, he hears him say, Zacchaeus, make haste. Today I want to go to your house. Think about it. Zacchaeus says, oh my God, he not only sees me, he knows me. The three greatest needs of your life is to be really seen for who you are. Number two, to be known for what you're good for. And number three, I make haste, come down, I want to go to your house. I need you. Can I say this out loud and shout it from the house stops? The Lord needs you. You have a specific something that the Lord has for you that no one else is designed on the face of the earth to do. If you choose not to do it, God can raise up from these stones someone who will do it, but you're the first choice for your job and your, and your purpose in the earth. But it, the rubber didn't hit the road to Zacchaeus comes along and he says, now watch this. He said, Lord, half my goods, if I, half my goods I give to the poor. That was half of it, of his wealth. Then he says, if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I'll restore him fourfold. That was the rest of his money. And that's when Jesus said, now there's the son of Abraham. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart really is. And so the Lord knew he had his heart. And then he makes that famous announcement, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so we see him as the evangelist and the shepherd, the good shepherd of the sheep. Aren't you thankful he's a good shepherd? Boy, there's a, there's a, bad, there's a bad shepherd, and we don't want anything to do with him. He's Mr. Ripoff. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. Are you with me? He's married to the church. Hosea was uh, instructed to go marry a harlot. Think about that. How many know God's ways are not your ways? When you think you've got him in a box, let me tell you what you're going to end up with. A box. Because he'll burst out of there and do something differently than you ever dreamed. He, she, he married this harlot. She runs off. He brings her back into his house. Then she runs off again. He brings her then into a wilderness, it says in Hosea 2. It's a beautiful passage. Don't have time to preach it because I want to get to my, my text here in a moment. And he says, he says oh, by the way, this is my introduction. He says, <laughs> he says, he says, I'll take her into the wilderness and I'll speak comfortably to her there. Can you imagine such a Lord as that? And she will no longer call me her Baalai, which means her, her, the God that's impersonal and far away. But she'll call me Aishai or Ishi in the language, which means my husband, the one married to the church. That's Jesus. He's married to you. And he is your husband. And he is the great pastor. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. He's announced that about himself. I am the good shepherd. And then 
when they heard him teach, they said, we've never heard anyone teach like this. And so he was not only the teacher, he was the master teacher. And so in his body, he was the fivefold ministry, all embodied. But when he died and went to heaven, he led captivity captive. Now, I don't know if you know what that means. But the devil has no legal right to you. Ah, you missed that. He led captivity. Everything that has a coming at you to put you into captivity, he's already led that captive. And then he gave gifts to men, apostles. Hello? This is the text. Prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And in, a, in, in Peter's uh, general epistle, the fifth chapter, he talks about you, you younger be submitted to the elders. And then in that same context, he says, Submit yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He, the Lord, then can raise you up in due season. And for that, I use that analogy, if you will, to say to you, that's why we've got to have what Dr. No now has uh, in the fullness of time. And for such a time as this, I really believe, come forth with this revelation to incorporate into the life of SUM the fivefold ministry as a, uh, as a forefront uh, leader into this, into this great but yet historic revelation. Now, there's something so unique about the prophetic, and that's what they're asking me to consider working with. Let me just add, right before I go into this, Jesus said, I do nothing. Now, Jesus, everybody say Jesus is always right. So his M.O. or his modus operandi, the way he did his business was this way. I do nothing except what I see the Father do and what I hear the Father say. I say nothing. And I do nothing except what I see and hear. When did he see and he hear it? He saw and he heard it in his prayer life. When I was the dean at Oral Roberts University, I had no small disputation with Oral Roberts himself one day when I told him, Oral, your theology is wrong. <laughs> now, 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 only Richard could understand because he just got his doctorate this weekend, as a matter of fact, from that university where I had the privilege to frame the doctorate he got. Hallelujah. So I'm to blame for all that misery you went through, Richard. <laughs> but uh, the fact of the matter is that Oral Roberts was a man among men. I was behind closed doors with him for five full years. Never heard him talk about money or anything like that. He was a man of God and a man of the Word and a man of the Spirit. And I wanted to say that publicly so you would know always where I am about that so that if you ever say anything ill about Brother Roberts, I'll tell you, you, don't stand up, don't ever criticize someone that's done more for Jesus than you. Particularly not the fathers. And let me tell you why. Because you, you're standing on their shoulders. They might decide to move over and there you went. I hope you heard what I just said. And so I'm speaking very directly to you as a father. I have a 38-year-old son who's a great pastor. Scott uh, Camp was with him last week, and he is pastoring in the home city where a church on the rock, the mother church that I birthed in 1980 that's now global in its expression, uh, is my son now is pastoring in that city and doing a great job. And I'm so proud of my own son who's a pastor. And so praise the Lord for that. I'll, if y'all can't praise him for it, I'll have to. Amen. Because you've got to be proud of your kids. Amen. Be that as it may, I wanted to say that Jesus only did what he saw and heard, 
And he only saw and heard it because of his prayer life. And when I said to Brother Roberts, your theology is wrong. And he said, well, what are you talking about? And it was a direct confrontation. But it wasn't meant to be confrontational. I said, I'm coming to take nothing away from preaching, teaching, and healing. But I'm saying to you that unless we add prayer as the foundation, because it's the only ministry we know he's doing today, and it's the only ministry we know that was the foundation of his all the other apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral, and teaching ministry, it all was birthed out of his prayer life. Did you all hear what I just said? He said, Father, I thank you. Uh, I don't have to, I don't really have to pray this prayer because I've already prayed it. Now, I know four days late and everybody's mad at me, Lord, but I'm saying this for their sakes. Take the stone away. Lazarus, come forth. Amen. Are you seeing that? Everything he did was birthed out of and all night into the wee hours of the morning and walking on the water. Now, who told him to do that? If he hadn't heard the, the Father in his spirit say, walk out on the water, he would have drowned. Just like Peter didn't walk on water, he walked on one word from Jesus. But he heard something. And I'll just drop this in on the side. My prayer life is primarily hearing, not speaking. So I'll be glad to teach a class on prayer if I may here, Dr. No, if you have time to slip me in on the side on that. I'll, I'll do my best. I'll try to add a little something. But in reference to this matter of the prophetic, I want to come to uh, several points that are of, of optimum prophetic experiential reality. And, and I said a lot of words just then, but let me break that down. The most dynamic and electric and, and sometimes divisive term in, in biblical theology is the word experience. The difference between most theological seminaries and what is going on in this room right now and what SUM wants to emulate and to impart to the body is this matter of biblical experience, experience with God, a, 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 a prayer life that's caught as well as taught, the spirit of faith that moves in you, that moves mountains. And in the matter of this prophetic gift, prophets were always raised up. Prophetic anointings are always raised up during times of great crisis. I can't develop this this morning because my time is short. But let me say that I will focus on the prophet Elijah for just a moment because he's the one that transcends biblically the Old Testament to the New Testament prophetic. The God that answers by fire, he said. That's an experience, ladies and gentlemen. How many believe you? Well, the prophets of Baal found out. Those 450 of them died in about the next 10 minutes. Amen. Because as soon as the fire fell, they were toast. And y'all missed that. But they, they were all dead within 15 minutes after they'd been cutting themselves and doing their gyrations for days trying to get the fire to fall. But boy, when Elijah lifted his voice, that's when the ten tribes had gone north uh, and, and the two tribes had gone south and there was a, two different Jewish religions, if you will, two different Jewish capitals, two different doctrines, really. And there was massive prejudice that we don't even know anything about right now. We think we know what prejudice is. Thank God for the Clippers. Thought I'd drop that in on the side. You may not be a Clippers fan, but you better be a Silver fan. 
And y'all that don't know what I'm talking about, ask your neighbor. He'll tell you later. Amen. But I just, I, I bought a Clippers hat last night, and I'm an Oklahoma City fan. So just give God the glory, somebody. Amen. If you're having any fun yet, say okay. Amen. You have to say amen. The prophets were always raised up in the middle of crisis. Elijah was raised up to prophesy against Ahab. Then he prophesied the God that answers by fire. He showed his humanity when he ran the next day from Jezebel, his wife. At the same time, this prophet Elijah, James says, over all the way over in the New Testament now, the half-brother of Jesus, James himself, writing the general epistle as the senior pastor, we believe, of the, of the church at Jerusalem, he writes, think about Elijah, a man of like passions as you are. He, he prayed that it would not rain. It didn't rain for three years. Then he prayed again, it rained. And they were in great crisis when John the Baptist came on the scene, saying, repent, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And the Roman Empire was crumbling all over the world. And at the same time, they were murdering millions of babies when they heard that there was another king being raised up at the birth of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if you can bear this, Elijah is here with us in the person of John the Baptist. Not reincarnation, but the spirit of Elijah had come on. John the Baptist during that time of terrible crisis in the earth. Are you hearing anything yet? And so I'm talking to you today as we're carrying on now. The moment that changed all of history, even your calendar going from B.C. to A.D., not to mention the sin of the world being taken away. He meets with Jesus while he's praying, of all things, Luke's Gospel tells us. While he prays, he was transfigured before them. The only gospel that says that is the gospel of Luke, the Gentile medical doctor that wrote the book of miracles, the book of Acts, also wrote the book of Luke. And he says this while he's praying, he was transfigured. And there appeared Moses from the law. He explains all have sinned and come short of the glory. And it's now time. That's all Jesus had to know. Because he knew he was going to die to be raised again. But Elijah, representing all the, the, the plethora and the panorama of all of the great prophets of the Old Testament, he's the only one there. Not Isaiah, not Jeremiah, not any, Elijah. Why Elijah? Because he was the one that called for experiential, now, reality of God. That will get you in trouble in religious circles. The word now will get you, keep, keep you in trouble. It will get you thrown out of many denominations. I'm proof. And my own. Well, I won't go there. Be that as it may, I, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with you a bit, but let, let me just say to you, Elijah's there representing all the prophets pointing to the cross, and now is the time. Speaking of his decease or his exodus or his death, and what happened on that cross... Are you thankful today? Come on now. Tell me the truth. Are you thankful that he who knew no sin became your sin? The old spiritual says, were you there? I can say, yes, I was there. I was co-crucified with Christ. That's what the Greek language says. It doesn't say I was crucified with Christ, a theological idea. No, it says I was co-crucified with Christ. I was actually there. I was, my sin was in him. 
And he killed it on the tree, as well as my sorrow and Satan's legal right to me and sickness and everything else. Wounded for transgressions, bruised for iniquities, the chastisement for our peace upon him. And by his stripes, somebody help me, by his stripes, we are healed. Hallelujah. We're talking about the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. And then ascending on high, he leads captivity captive, and he gives gifts to men. And we're back in Ephesians. Quickly, I close. I won't be long with you ever, but I want to be strong with you. And I want to show you something in the Bible that maybe you haven't seen, but you must see it because it's going to carry S-U-M into its next generation. My God, this morning when I saw this, the crisis of our world, America's degenerate, degeneration, not only morally and spiritually and financially and, and in every other way you can describe degeneration, we're in a decline as a nation. I'm still glad I'm an American and proud to be one, but I can tell you if we don't have a revival, we're in trouble, ladies and gentlemen. And that's not going to happen because someone calls a meeting and some hotshot comes in and preaches a bit. It's going to happen when the local church embraces the fivefold ministry. And I close this this way, and I want you to see it. Ephesians 2.20, I was taught, by Bernard Ram as I had to study that same book in five of my classes in my Master's of Divinity at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And by the way, I spoke in tongues all the way through, to, through two degrees as a Southern Baptist. <laughs> Anybody who lived through that is anointed. I don't care what you say. I, I really did. I used to tell them when they come to my dorm room and say, we want what you've got, I would say, if I get these on you, you're going to get it. And I'd hold my hands out. I said, but you may get what you want and not want what you got. Because it's going to cost you everything. And that's what Scott found out. And that's why he's... But that's, that's the verification of what a man of God is. He's one that goes through the valley of the shadow of death and comes out on the other side with great victory. Now watch this. In Bernard Ram's great book on hermeneutics, the science of the study of the Bible. That's what the word hermeneutics means. The science of the study of the Scriptures. His major point was this, is that you must read Scripture in the context that it was heard to those to whom it was written by the Holy Spirit. Do I need to repeat that? Did you all get what I just said? It must be understood in the context to those for whom it was written, and I'm going to add by the... Mercy and the grace and the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit as he worked through the Bible writers. In Ephesians 2.20, we have an amazing passage at the end of the, end of the chapter. I'm going to begin with 19 of chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, which by all account, with no disputation, is a doctrinal book. Listen to it carefully. Now, therefore, verse 19, you are no longer strangers, foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. The household of God is generally considered a euphemism, same word for church. Having been built on the foundation, listen carefully now, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, again the church, being joined together, Grows up. Somebody said grows up. Grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
in whom you also are being built. You are being built together as a habitation of God by the Holy Spirit. Here's the big dilemma. The apostles and prophets, even in Pentecostal circles, are over here on one side of the fence. There's a fence in the middle, and on the other side are the pastors, the teachers, and the evangelists. In evangelicalism, which in some circles is a wasm, because it says there, there, are, there is no such thing as apostles and prophetic ministries that even exist. They don't even acknowledge those two. The reason is because they say th- things like this, the God that answers by fire. Paul let them beat him going into Philippi. Have you ever stopped and thought about this? He was a Roman, untried, uncondemned, cast a demon out of a little girl that was a soothsayer, a fortune teller. That He was hearing God in his spirit while they were beating him and threw him in the inner prison or he could have just raised one finger and said, I'm a Roman. It's against the law for you to beat me. And they would have, oh my God, what are we doing? Because at the end of the story, you remember the jailhouse rocked after they prayed and they sang praises to God. There was an earthquake. That's where the church of Philippi was birthed at Lydia's prayer meeting and in that jail. The jailer gets saved. You remember all of this? And then Paul says, oh, and by the way, I'm a Roman. Why didn't he say it up front? Because the Lord was speaking in his spirit. Take it. Take it. See, these apostles and prophets, when they get together and start working together, they'll go through hell to build a church. But they work in tandem, not as the big shots on the top of the paradigm. They work as the chief foot washers, doing signs, wonders, and miracles. And just, watch this, their personage alone produces the power for the establishing of the local church. Pardon me while I preach. Because I, I've got a bad case of the can't help it. I mean, really, I can't, help but, I can't help but preach what I've seen and heard. I know I'm right about this stuff. I'm reading it right here on black ink on a white page. It's right here. And again, at the end of the third chapter, or at the beginning of the third chapter, he hits it again. He hits it again. This is a doctrinal book, y'all. Come on. We know that Paul was from East Texas because he said, I reckon this and I reckon that. <laughs> Which in other ages were not known to the sons of men as it is now being revealed. Revelation. Verse 5. By the Spirit, to the, by the holy apostles and prophets. You see, the big dilemma is... Watch this, and I'm going to show you why it happens and how it happens, because I got caught up in it, okay? And I got caught up in it, and it took me about 20 years to get out of it totally. But when I, I got out of it in one day, but it took me 20 years to get to a place where there would be an SUM somewhere, where there would be an IHOP somewhere, International House of Prayer. These institutions are just now catching up, if you will, to what the Bible said 2,000 years ago. And would embrace the apostolic prophetic serving with the pastor, teacher, and evangelist in the house of God, which is the local church, so that we can have churches. But over here, I'm going to show you how this works. You get a ministry that grows to the point it's $2 million a month in three years. What church in America is going to be able to underwrite that ministry and house that ministry? It doesn't exist. 
So is it the church's fault or the apostles' fault? It's neither. It's the fact that for generation and century after century, we have existed on two sides of the fence. When these great, great men of God would come along, like Old Roberts, for example, where was he going to go to submit Old Roberts Evangelistic Association to a local church that would house that ministry that the Life magazine called him the Oklahoma Tornado? who just swept through the plains and all over this country from, from Seattle, Washington to Pensacola, Florida. Where was he going to house himself in the church? See, it takes institutions like this one, ladies and gentlemen, that will teach this as a doctrine that to, 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 to assimilate this into our thinking so that it can begin to, by osmosis and by revelation and by actual impartation, filter into the culture that apostles and prophets are, 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 are the foot washers. We're not the big shots running our big independent Larry Lee ministries over here. No. We're the Dr. Richard Hogues that say, how can I help break up the fallow ground so that your church can grow? For the Larry Lee to go to Blanchard, Oklahoma, and that's a little bitty town that doesn't even have a light. It doesn't have a street light, a blinking light even. I don't think there's a Sonic or a Dairy Queen or even a McDonald's there. But I went over and over and over. Why? Because I was making a point with my life. I preached one, one week. I preached at a, at a church in New York City to 9,600 people on Friday night. And I preached to 26 people on Sunday morning. And I love being in both places equally. As a matter of fact, I said as I took the pulpit that morning, I'm making a point with my life because I laid down the $2 million a month deal with the airplane so that I could say to the world, the apostles and the prophets have to birth. Or this book, this book of Ephesians, just take a magic marker and mark it all out and throw it away. Use it, use it for scrap paper. It means nothing. How many believe the book of Ephesians means everything? If you can take any of it out, you can take all of it out. But this is such clear revelation. And so what I'm teaching you today about the prophetic is that, of course, the prophetic comes at times of chaos and times of trial. It comes during times when there is a, there's a great need for an Elijah. There's a great need for a for an apostolic Apostle Paul that will go with stocks and bonds in the inner prison to sing and praise God in a prayer meeting to start a church at Philippi. The big dilemma is we got the apostles and prophets, Dr. Noah over here. we got the evangelists, pastors, and teachers over here. And when I went to Oklahoma City, I went to a small church. There was about 50 churches when I started as the apostolic uh, overseer to a small group of churches. But I went to every large church in the city, and they stood me up one at a time and said, we wouldn't be here if we hadn't learned how to pray through this man. But when I got behind closed door, doors, I said, man, we've got to embrace each other and come together. What did Jesus pray in John 17? That they may be one so the world can be one. You want to win the world? Let's become one. Let's marry the apostolic and the prophetic back into the local church. Let's see that infiltrate the thinking of the next generation 
And by the time Jesus is ready to come back or the Father's ready to say go back, again, the bride will be marching down that aisle, beautiful, without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. And you'll look down and see she's wearing combat boots. Because we have to go through a lot to get there. But let me tell you something. We're on our way today. And so I want everybody just to lift a hand and say, come on, Jesus.